0: You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network
1: production. As you well know, there are very few things that drive me to excitement than music. Music has been part of my life, I suspect, since I was probably in second or third grade. And I've got to read this to you. You're you're just going to love this. Female blues guitarists have long been an important part of the blues rock world. You only have to think of ladies like Ann Popovich, Bonnie Raitt, or Joanne Shaw Taylor to understand what I mean. And now you can also add to that. I'm going to pause. That's a quote from Blues Magazine. Another quote. So-and-so and so-and-so and so has proven that she will be a force to be reckoned with in the blues rock world. She's a gifted singer and guitarist who's capable of digging deep from within as a songwriter. That's from Blues by magazine. I am so thrilled today to have two dear friends on Mike's Seminary and Friends. The first one, with regards to the quote, is Jennifer Lynn, who is the leader of Jennifer Lynn and the Groove revival. Part of the revival is my good friend, Richard Torrance. I have known Jennifer and Richard for some time, and it's all because of music and the gifts that they have and how they share them publicly. And I couldn't be more thrilled today to say, Jennifer and Richard, it's great to see you. Welcome to Mike's Seminary. And friends, how are you? And I'm going to start with you, Jennifer. How are you?
2: I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having us. It's good to see you. Oh, it's
1: a pleasure. And Richard, how are you? I'm doing fine, Mike. It's good to see you again. Likewise. You know that there's distance since we moved. I don't get to see you with the frequency that I would like, but we're going to talk about how that's going to change for me, too. Oh, wow. All right. Because we're going to be talking about where you're going to be playing and how I'm going to be there uh, to enjoy it. Well, gosh, here it is. Um, I think, Richard, I've known you for about. 13, 14 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer, I, I think I've known you for about eight.
2: That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: And I have had the greatest pleasure of watching you and those that you play with perform and grow and become these incredible recording artists. And I don't very often have the pleasure of having recording artists of your stature on. So I, I, want, I want to say thank you for joining me. Let's back up a little bit. And I'm going to start with you, Richard, because I, I think teeing up Jennifer with your background is going to be really important. I knew of your band, the first one, but actually not the first one. I, I knew of Tradewinds 5, not the original band that, that you formed a little bit before that. I knew of your band because... You guys were recording artists before almost anybody else that I was aware of in North Dakota. You grew up in Bismarck. Back in the day, there were probably 50, 60, 70, I don't know, garage bands. But your band was the one that was just knocking it out of the park. So my first question for you, Richard, when did you know? when did you know that music was, it was it, that was in your DNA and that was going to be what you're going to pursue?
0: Wow. Difficult question there, Mike, but I I can tell you that I have pictures of me playing one of those little plastic guitars that are like painted up with Mickey mouse and and stuff. (laughs) And I'm in diapers. So That might have been the day I decided that day. (laughs) But in reality, the truth of the matter is when I was in high school, probably when I graduated, and all of the people that were um, in the band with me, the Tradewinds, were deciding that they did not want to pursue music as a uh, profession, take that big risk, and uh, head out to California to pursue the entertainment industry and the recording industry. I was the only one in the whole band that wanted to do that and was absolutely serious about it. I mean, you can talk about it and go, yeah, we should go to California and make a million dollars. You know, who doesn't when they can play um, Smoke on the Water? <laughs> so, <laughs> as long as they could play those three notes, you know. But I was serious about it. So at that point, I, I realized, you know, talk is cheap. But when you get in your car and you drive out to California and start hitting the streets, and that's when you're serious. Yeah. And that's what happened.
1: One more question for you, Richard. And then later on, I'll follow up with Jennifer with regarding technology back in those days, the, the, the I, and I don't remember the 45 Richard, I apologize. Um, you guys recorded in Canada. If, if memory serves me. Well, we,
0: we played a lot live up there and through that live performance, we met the people that ultimately helped us with the recording, but the recording actually happened in Minneapolis.
1: Oh, Okay. So there, there, there were, at that time, Greg Nelson ha- hadn't started the recording studio that still exists today. It wasn't there. Correct. Wow.
0: And so, uh, yeah, there was no place to record in Bismarck, uh, aside from like KFAR radio station, you know, whatever recording equipment they might have. But Good. as far as... Um, An equipped. Well, our eight track studio at that time was probably what what we were experiencing. 16 tracks would have been high on the hog. But yeah, we got an eight track studio in Minneapolis and that's when we recorded our first single, It Must Be Love.
1: Yeah. Jennifer, you're, and I think our first contact was actually through our profession of engineering. I, I, I think I met you at s- some event, and it might have been at Bismarck State College. It might have been in, in that theater where I first met you. I think you were with Barr, if if memory serves me. Could have been somebody else, but I'm saying Barr. You're a Minnesota product. You end up in North Dakota. You are, you're a structural engineer, so so you're smart. And you uh, and you were also a gifted athlete you played soccer at South Dakota, South Dakota State University right SDSU and 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 you're still teaching where where did music come into play for this um, stem product because I mean, you're really good at science tech you know all of that when when did music come into play for you?
2: For me, it was actually early, too. And this uh, just thinking about this might be why he likes lead guitar so much and why um, why I like rhythm guitar so much. Because uh, my first instrument was actually a Kmart drum set that my parents bought me for Christmas and put in the basement in the furthest location away from other hu- human beings. So. <laughs> Um, no, I no. Honestly, when I was really little, I used to get chopsticks from the from the Chinese place. Whenever my parents would order out, I would make them get extra chopsticks because I would bang on everything. And so they they knew I had an interest in it and bought me a drum kit. I never did have lessons because I didn't have um, time for it. Honestly, with sports, but that was my first introduction to music. And then in middle, well, elementary school, I played the clarinet for about a year. That didn't last. And then uh and then moved on to choir. And then um I started doing some songwriting and teaching myself how to play guitar in um high school and then um got back into music probably about eleven, maybe twelve years ago now, and I really haven't looked back since. Now I'm kind of obsessed to the point that I might need <laughs> so, no. so was there almost a
1: 10, 12 year period where you weren't playing at all?
2: Correct. Yeah, all through college. I I did not. And then after college, I was very heavily involved in martial arts and I was not doing anything musically other than singing in the shower and moved here and got back into music. So it's been it's been a fun ride.
1: Totally off subject. I started out as a drummer and one of the first things my parents wanted me to purchase, in addition to the drunk kit I had, was that rubber pad that you that you put on. And I think I tried it for about five minutes. I thought, that sucks. I, I just don't like that thing at all. <laughs> did you have one of those on your at I least on the not, snare?
2: I did not, but I we had a door. At the bottom of the stairs, and there were many times when I went down there to play that I mysteriously the door was closed when I went to go back upstairs. So I think that was the equivalent of the foam pad on the the <laughs> snare. The door.
1: <laughs> so, somewhere there's a picture of me with one of those dickies You know, remember did you remember the is? I don't know if you know Jennifer, but so I, I I'm a dicky with my shirt open because that, you know you had to have your shirt open so people know it was a dicky and And <laughs> I'm behind the drums, and you can see kind of that pad, and yeah. I think that was the only time that, that I ever used it. I hated it. It was just 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 awful. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer, back to you 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 were away from music for a long time, fairly long time. Mm-hmm. what What inspired you to say, I, "I've got to get back to that, because uh, it was it was part of my life, and I wanted it to be part of my life again?
2: It was my grandmother when she was, um, she passed away from cancer. And when she was on the final stages of it, she met with all of the grandkids and her kids too, of course. And it was a conversation I had with her and she was, my grandmother was always very direct, but in a good way. And she flat out asked me why I wasn't doing music anymore. And basically, in so many words, it was, you know, don't waste a gift that you've been given, even if it's just Mm -hmm. for the enjoyment of doing it just to do it. So it was it was really her inspiration that um, I picked up the guitar again and I haven't really put it down since.
1: Now, that causes me to want to ask another question Uh, (laughs) because I don't I don't I don't write questions down. I just want it to be, you know, kind of a natural flowing kind of thing. The number of times i've seen you play your mother is in is in attendance has your mother ever said anything about what you just shared the importance of music to your grandmother and your gift and that you're fulfilling that um as per your grandma's request has she ever said anything about that
2: definitely um throughout my whole life my parents have always been very supportive They uh... Other than when I thought that I could fly jumping off the roof, they've been very supportive of of things that I tried to pursue. They've always kind of instilled in me that um, if you work hard, there isn't anything you can't accomplish. So mm. so I've been really fortunate with that way. I haven't had from a family environment, I haven't really had the naysayers, so to speak. They've always, my dad and my mom have always been very supportive as well as my grandparents like you just heard about. So sadly not everyone has
1: parents <laughs> that um are as supportive all oh, what the world might be right if if we and we could we have a tendency sometimes to be dream stealers are you sure you want to do that are you sure that's a good idea and, and it's maybe more because of our insecurity not so much the person that we're talking to and um unfortunately that happens so so richard I first heard of, of your name. I knew of the band Trade Wins Five. I didn't know who you were when you, went, you came back to Bismarck, and a mutual friend, Ron Turner, who I had jammed with, said, "Have, have you seen Richard Torrance?" I said, "Well, who is that?" He, he tells me he said, the why, and then I think the first time I saw you was at the company party that the company the engineering firm that I worked for where you were you were hired and played and I thought oh god this guy is really really good and so my my next question for you is I have since I've come to know you I've actually had the opportunity to learn that there are a lot of musicians but particularly guitarists that one way or another you've mentored them Either by them just observing and maybe a casual conversation, or you've met them to um, a, a fairly significant degree. In mm-hmm. this case, Jennifer, um, and, and I hope I, this isn't off-putting when I say this, Jennifer. Richard, I, I, as I observe, you've been an incredible mentor for for Jennifer because of your background, your talents, your gifts, and just your willingness to say it, let's do this thing together. What what where did you get that? Because some musicians aren't necessarily as receptive to the idea of mentoring somebody. Where did that come from for you? Hmm.
0: Well, I can tell you that in uh certain times of my life when I have attempted to be a guitar teacher and just open it up to students and work out of a, a guitar shop. And and you get the 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 young kids, the 12, 13 year olds that, uh, you know, their parents bought them a guitar for Christmas and they have no desire to play at all. But, you know, the parents pushes them into the guitar shop and says, come on, we're going to learn. I bought you this guitar. And you can tell that week to week that the kid hasn't even pulled the guitar out of the case to play. It. He has no interest in it, you know. So first thing that I learned was, yeah, if you're going to have a student, the student has got to have a desire to play. So that really narrowed it down back in those days when I was attempting those things. So I stopped teaching because it was just too frustrating for me. I couldn't take, you know, $30 for a session and the kid's not even picking up his instrument, you know, so I would pretty much just tell the parents, "Mm, I don't think it's worth it yet. Give him another year. Let his hand grow a little bit. See if he's interested. You know, parents nowadays have their kids involved in so many out of school activities that there's not time. To learn, they don't. They don't have chance. They'd rather be outside playing or on their devices. Anyway, <laughs> fast forward. <clears throat> now I'm let's say fourteen years ago, maybe, and and um, I'm working as a music minister in uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Bismarck, and because I'm involved with youth music, youth and um, contemporary Christian bands, teaching people how to play certain things so that they can play in the band it came much easier because these people were excited about playing. And it just so happened that while I was involved in all of that and feeling more confident and just having an overall better attitude about if someone approached me to want to learn something from me musically. Because these people, like I said, were anxious to learn and um, very receptive to my teaching. So Jennifer and I met. Um, I want this to be her story, but when we did meet, her interest – in my career was, was I mean, first of all, flattering to me because I didn't know her too well. Obviously, we just met. But for her to just, I can talk about my career for hours. <laughs> so to have someone go, oh, tell me more. Okay, sit down. Let's have some coffee. <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and then we started taking lessons. I started giving her lessons. And I was just amazed at how fast she learned. Just literally the fastest learner I have ever worked with. She would come back the next week and not only would she have the stuff that I had taught her the previous week down, but she would have questions about how can I modify this? You know, it's, you know, I want to change it and make it this, you know, and there that would open up the whole next lesson. You know, I mean, it was really uh, a fun experience teaching her. And and then when she just started taking off and started bringing in all of her own ideas and and she'd bring in a song and I want to learn how to play that lick and you know we would work on that stuff you know it was it was fascinating she she took in the information like a sponge and i was it, it was amazing there's only been one other student in my life that was that fast and still is playing the guitar and we have the pleasure of working with him again now and his name is Jackson Jackson Fitterer and it's also from that era of the church and he's worked in bands with us he's substituted for me in bands with her <laughs> I mean, he (laughs) substituted for his teacher.
1: (laughs) Yes. By the way, I remember the to me. It
0: doesn't threaten me at all. It's thrilling for me. You know, it's like, wow, you could take my gig.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first time I saw him. You were all playing together at, um, what's the name of the place now? The pond, something pond. Yeah, the, the,
2: lucky ducks. Lucky, uh, duck lucky was. ducks.
1: Thank you so much, duck and pond. Same
0: thing. Well, The pond was the name of the patio where yeah. we played,
1: yeah. right? And and I, I particularly enjoyed watching the face of his father, because he, <laughs> he was there that night, and that was really really special. Jennifer, for for you, did you know of Richard through the church, or had you heard of? about him? Had you seen how how did that all how did that work for you?
2: Um that's a that's a good question. So I was playing in when I got back into music, I knew literally like five chords on guitar because that's where my high school guitar learning had stopped. And I was playing um with some friends that I had actually met through work. One of them was a surveyor where I worked and he was the drummer in this Americana band. And um he found out you know that i was getting back into music he's like well stop over to a rehearsal sometime this will be fun so i went to this rehearsal and i was just kind of playing rhythm guitar and having a good time and and they're like hey jen you want to sing one so i i sang and in the middle of the song the bass player stops and goes whoa stop (laughs) i'm like what you know i thought i had done something wrong and uh he knew he had known my interest in trying to get better at guitar and better at music and just kind of immersing myself in uh, the learning process. He goes, there's a guy you got to meet. It was very random. He said, I want this. You're going to go to this church and meet this guy. It kind of felt like a shady deal, (laughs) you know, like I was going to go down a back alley somewhere. (laughs) So anyway, he was nice enough to meet with me and, um, And the rest is kind of history. I went into the church and actually started playing in the church. So I kind of got back into music that way, which was really fun for me because, you know, it's a low stress environment to kind of hone your chops, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Um, You know, when you're learning to play guitar, there aren't too many places where you can really perform where people aren't going to throw things at you. So very forgiving (laughs) audience. Yeah. and And it was fun. It was a great experience playing with all those people. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then like Richard said, um, he started giving me lessons probably because I kept peppering him with questions <laughs> and it was just like, hey, you know, in a half hour, we can answer all these questions. And then, yeah, it just kind of snowballed to to um, where we're at now, where during COVID, we started writing music together and it was really out of, we got to do something because everyone was going crazy. And one thing kind of led to another. And now we're on our second album together, which is really fun. So,
1: We'll get to that in a second. I was chuckling because, (laughs) you know, Bismarck Mandan has always been a very unique ecosystem when it comes to music. Because there have been educators in the systems, right, that inspired young people. And it's still there today. Mm -hmm. And so then... But I'm of the vintage, and Richard probably could nod his head and say, yeah, it, back in the day, you had a guitar in church. They thought you were all going to go to hell, <laughs> starting with the guitar player. And then the people that would i like the music, right? Guys <laughs> like Craig Schweitzer and some of those in Bismarck, Mandan, changed all of that. It's sure did. And uh, that—that just another evolutionary step in the great value of music, and in this case, a worship setting. And so it's just really cool to hear. To to hear that, I actually was going to ask a question, Jennifer, about COVID. Um, it, 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 that had to have significantly impacted, even though North Dakota handled it probably a little differently than some places. Right when they were they were shut down for a year, year and a half, or better, that had to have significantly impacted you in terms of what are we going to do now? Yeah, <laughs> kind of walk me through how. How how you approach that, and then go back to the recording and writing piece that you just had alluded to.
2: Are we talking from a music sense, Mike? Is that yeah, what
1: you're... the the ability to play and perform.
2: Yeah. Well, um, the interesting little uh, tidbit was I I've always had a desire. I'm a studio nerd. I do like performing live, but the studio for me, because I love songwriting, is my I would live there. And so the funny part was I bought myself at the end of of that year. I took some money from my music business and I bought basically a, you know, kind of like a a home studio console, essentially. I took my mixing board out of commission, which was used for live shows, put it in the studio and right before COVID hit and right before lockdown hit, I'm not even joking, this got delivered to my house. (laughs) It was kind of... um, For me, it was like, wow, okay, I got nothing but free time. I guess I'm going to learn how to uh, mix albums and uh, master albums and record albums at home. And it was kind of started out where um, he and I, and actually our drummer, we had a Zoom meeting because we all missed each other. And it was more just like, hey, how's it going? And it turned into a writing session. And then that song led to Richard starting to come over because you know they were just kind of starting to understand a little bit of what COVID was really all about. And they were starting to say like, okay, it's, it's okay for you to hang out in small groups. And Richard lives literally a mile from my house. So he would come over um, in the evenings and we started writing some songs together. And then, then I had the crazy idea of, Hey, we're going to record an album at my house and I'm going to mix it. And I remember Richard had the look of kind of, you know, just like stone, stone face, like, I don't know how this is gonna go. And um to both wait, of us wait, like, wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. Wait. You cannot say stone face. <laughs> that's and true. Music in the same <laughs> part, You just can't. Yeah, no, yeah, People right. are gonna think point. something else. <laughs> Good
2: point. Let's say he had. <laughs> you know,
1: it might have been a stone face thing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm I sure to interrupt a you. Stare. Okay.
2: Yeah, stare when I had said <laughs> that and he was kind of like, okay, well, I guess we'll see how this goes. You know, we had nothing but time, so we might as well. Yeah. So if I may
0: interject, earlier in her and my relationship, we had attempted to record uh, one album in a recording studio, which went pretty well. And then the second time I said, you know, I think I can get just about as good a sound in my home studio, which is pretty much right behind us. And it's not nearly the rig that Jennifer bought, you know, a couple of years later. So we did try to record one at my house using my studio equipment, which is kind of antiquated. It sounded okay. It
2: did sound okay. You know,
0: when we compared it with the previous one done in the recording studio, we accomplished our goal. It sounded as good as. Mm-hmm. But we yeah. wanted to take that next step up the drums. You know, getting a yeah. solid drums and bass in a in a home studio is, you got You got to know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> and now, before I forget, Jennifer, so you down that something- rabbit hole big time. <laughs> Jennifer, you said something really important. Well, everything you're saying is important, but you said something that m- my antenna went up. I took money from my music business. Mm-hmm. So, so d- let's peel that a little bit. You, you know, most you me- are, <laughs> I mean, it's good. you're approaching this as a business, so you wanted to separate your other financial interests, et cetera, et etc., and this investment has to pay for itself one way or the other and has it always been that way for you as you approach your your career in music
2: yes i i took this actually from my dad my dad um towards the end of his career as a working human he he owned his own business and um the one thing I learned from him, because it started as a hobby and transitioned into a business, and the one thing I learned from him is if you don't treat it as a business, it won't be. It won't be a priority. And I, I'm i extremely type A, so when I do something, I'm either going to do it or I'm just you know, going to find something else to do with my time. I can play my guitar for fun in my house at any time, so... Um, so for me, yeah, I, I set it up as a, an LLC right away. And actually Richard and I now have a, an LLC actually together as our, um, for all of our songwriting that we do. Um, so yeah, we definitely try to take more of the professional approach because I feel if you don't, you're just kind of setting yourself up for nothing good to, to really come from it. Other than making music, of course, that's a good thing, but yeah. Yeah. So
1: the, al- the album that you're both referencing is uh, Nothing Holding Me Down. Am, am I correct? Yes. God, that album is so freaking good. <laughs> I, I have many, many times, um, I think it's called L- Lay, Lay Your Memory Down. I think that's the name of the song. That's my favorite. It, oh, I just, it, uh, I, I got thought I had my harp here just in case you guys were going to play it. <laughs> I, I, I like all of them, right? But I love that song. And today was the first time I heard the one I just played, where you're butt naked out in the in the snowbank. <laughs> Pretty and cool. I, maybe maybe you should call that song that it,
2: a bit, <laughs> it, butt naked in the snowbank. There you go.
1: What a great great song, well, Jennifer. We're starting with you first. How did you during COVID? Lay down these tracks with your equipment and the members of the of the band.
2: Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's really always been kind of two ways that you can record an album. There's, you know, like what we see the Rolling Stones still do this, where they basically all get in a room together, and you, and, and when uh, Mick Jagger isn't singing, you can hear Keith Richards sucking on a cigarette. That's one way of recording, which is really cool. And then, um, the other way of recording is basically we, um, while we were songwriting created basically like a scratch track of the, the song, making sure that it was in time and in tempo. And then, um, basically we set it up where, um, with a click track, the drummer would then lay down his parts playing with that, that, um, scratch track. And then we brought in the bass player next. Actually, we sent him the, the track with the drum part so he could hear what the drummer was playing. Cause you know, ideally you really want to record bass and drums together because they're really the engine that drives a song. So having them be in sync and play off each other is really important. So we sent Chris, the bass player, the the drum tracks and the scratch track together. So he could kind of hear what the drummer had put together. Then he came in, played the bass parts. Then once that was done um, we recorded the rhythm guitar parts and then did um, the keyboard parts, Mm -hmm. which Richard played all of those on that album, and then uh, the lead guitar parts. And um, at the very end, we recorded vocals. So we built it basically from the ground up, which is uh, still a common practice, even not just in home recording. They do that in a lot of studios as well, just to make sure that each track is very isolated in case you want to you know, add any effects or what have you, because otherwise, you know, you add reverb to that and you might have some drum track that's bleeding in and it gets messy in a hurry, so.
1: Mm. Richard, have you ever played with someone that at times sounds exactly like Bonnie Raitt? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they, other than Jennifer, have have you ever? I mean, there are times I'm listening to Jennifer; and she sounds. And Bonnie Raitt is one of my faves. Just one of my faves. Uh, Susan Tedeschi, but I mean, have have you ever played with somebody with no tapes like that? Totally honest with
0: you, no, I have not. And you know, I spent a lot of time doing live performance in Las Vegas, and had the pleasure of working with uh, countless incredible vocalists you know because there's a lot of really strong musicians in vegas because there's a lot of work there but when the minute that i heard jennifer's voice I, I heard a uniqueness that i i really really enjoyed listening to so you know if one human being in, enjoys listening to it there's going to be a bunch of them out there that also will enjoy so it was just a shoe-in for me you know for us to eventually start Trying out gigs together and seeing what worked. We did duos together. We played in a four-piece band. Yeah, and we still do. They're fun. Yeah, they're very fun. In fact, it really—it's almost better for us to do that because it's like, you play that in that part of the song? <laughs> no, that's not the chorus. <laughs> She's saying to me. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, but I digress. I was, you know, I lost track of what I was saying. What was the point I was making? That uh, you had never oh, so. <laughs> there are t- there are moments when we are on stage when I will st- I will still be so taken by the tone of her voice or how she and uh, raised something or an embellishment she just tried that I picked up and it'll just like bong you know like all right I like that
1: <laughs> it's well, fun here's how, here's how I'm gonna say it I saw a clip once of Michael Bublé is that his name Bublé yeah. And he invited this young guy on to sing with him. And here's what he said. He said, holy shitballs. That, that, <laughs> that, that's what he said as this kid was singing. And I had the same thought the first time I heard uh, Jennifer. I, I, It's just a, such, a, such add, a gift. We yeah we add yeah. that
2: press kit? <laughs> holy shitballs. Yeah. Like,
1: it, uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to edit that out. I think we're going to roll with that because that'll because that, you know Michael Bublé if he can say it why can't Mike Seminary right That's right. That's right. I don't have I don't have a beverage named after me, but that's a whole another story. Yeah. So COVID hit, and it gave you the ability to really dig into songwriting and recording, but it also changed the landscape of venues that were and it's i think it, i think we're still dealing with that between covid how it impacted impacted both the facility and then the, the you know the musicians that were available to play and then this whole thing about the workforce shortage deal mm-hmm. and i'm seeing that in a lot of different places mm-hmm. how are you jennifer how are you reaching out because i'm going to start talking about your tour here in a little bit and your website and all that kind of thing how how did that Change how you approached how you're going to market
2: mm-hmm. the
1: you and the band and your ability to play and get on the road?
2: Great question. Um, actually, what ended up happening after COVID, before COVID, I mean, even though business Bismarck and Mandan are smaller in population compared to where I grew up, which is the Twin Cities, we actually had a pretty thriving music scene, in my opinion, based on the population not only was there was there venues for people to play, there's ridiculously talented musicians in this town that were performing on a regular basis. And what I noticed post-COVID and like what you're describing is spot on, where I don't want to say that a lot of the venues dried up, but they kind of did. It became um, a thing where the people that were wanting to do original music, it was a little bit harder to do that and so what ended up happening is I, I've been working with the, the Bismarck Elks in town. And the reason I love that place so much, one, they're the second largest Elks in the whole U.S. So the facility is very nice. They have a very nice ballroom space that fits close to about 300 people seated with a nice stage. And um, we have been hosting a blues jam there, me and and um, our band, basically. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. We've been hosting a blues jam there and we, it's, we're it's we on our third year now of doing it. And, and obviously co- it didn't run during COVID. But after that, I said to Richard, I have this idea that I really want to run past someone to see if I'm crazy. And the idea was basically utilizing the space at the Elks, the main ballroom there, to have seated, um, ticketed shows. Specifically for people who were doing... I don't want to say more creative, but not like a typical bar gig. So it, it's like themed shows um, that are tribute concerts to everyone's favorite bands, um, which, we're, which we do all the time. We actually did one our earlier this year, a tribute to the Allman Brothers, which was really great. And um, I've been bringing in a lot of my friends from Minneapolis who are very talented musicians and also um, featuring some of our local musicians here that are what i would consider a list musicians no matter where they would live um and what we found it was really funny because i remember i said to richard i said well this is either going to be really good or it's going to be a total disaster you know because you just don't know and we mike have sold out every single show to the Again. point to the point that we have almost almost every show we've we've had now and this isn't just you know my band that per, that is performing like i said there's a lot of talented people we we get to perform. We do one show a month, and we've sold everyone out. And almost every show, I get people emailing and calling saying, "If there's a cancellation, let me know." So what that told me is that one, um, you know, people really, really, really missed live music. And two, they really in this town will rally and support people that are doing really cool things with music. Mm-hmm. They won't necessarily go to the the stereotypical bar gig. Um, cause, you know, that is a, a little bit different crowd, and it has its place, and it's fun. But these shows are really specific. They start at seven thirty. Like I said, there's usually a theme. It's a seated event where people can sit and and have a good night of it. And when we do these shows, you know, um like especially the Almond Brothers show, it was absolutely dead quiet while we were performing. I mean, people were so into the music yeah. and just enjoying the evening. And so, basically I was really hoping to breathe some life back into the music scene here. And that's really what's been going on. And it's been absolutely fabulous. It's been a nice injection of energy. So
1: now Richard, I'm going to go to you a second, but what you just shared, instead of repeating it, I'm just going to say Michael Bublé, because (laughs) that, that is really, really something. Uh, Richard, you've been playing for a while. uh, So I, I have, two questions. One is, I'm experiencing this, sometimes my hands bother me a little bit, because that just can kind of happen, right? So my first question is, do your hands work the same way they did 30 years ago? Are you modifying to adapt to um, the maturity thing that we experience?
0: Oh, you put it so delicately. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely am and it started a couple of years ago. <clears throat> I'm approaching my 73rd birthday and I'm proud of that because I'm still singing and playing. Um <laughs> but yeah, I've had to modify the way I hold my neck. I've had to modify the way that I play solos because I will just be ripping a solo out and and I will apply pressure to the wrong side of my thumb which will go crazy because there's arthritis setting in and uh I don't want to even get into the pain level. It's just like a jolt. Someone took a needle and just poked it into your thumb and it hurts and it's very distracting on stage. So yeah, I've been, uh, instead of using my thumb as a vice now, I try to always flip it over to my left side and let it ride along the neck, but there's still certain situations where you just can't do that. You know, I mean, you've got lifelong habits that I'm trying to modify. So yeah, it's painful, uh, painful on this hand too.
1: Oh, if you don't mind that I ask, I'm, I'm just curious because when I hear you, that I'm I'm hearing Richard from 40 years ago. I I, I don't <laughs> hear that. Is my well, that's why I, I asked while I'm actually in the act
0: of playing, unless I do hit one of those spots where it just sets a jolt of pain through me, I I don't feel any pain. I am completely in bliss when I am playing. It is it just music takes over. The guitar takes over. I have no idea what I'm doing on stage. That's why people say, well, could you play that solo again?
1: Nope. <laughs> Never the same way twice. Well, the, the, the second part of that question is it has to do with my observation. When I see you playing, I see a person that if I knew you when you were 18, 19, 20, that's, that's what I'm seeing, a guy that still just loves it. How much of that that I'm seeing has to do with Jennifer and the people that you're playing with?
0: Great question. <laughs> um, I can tell you this, that when when I was 18 or 19, I had not even approached um, the height of my lead guitar status I'm, you know, I started recording my first albums for Shelter Records when I was 22, so, um, in 1972. So um, at that point, I thought I was still, I thought I was pretty good at that point. But now when I go back and listen to it, of course, you go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I had a lot to learn. I don't think that I got to where I am as a lead guitar player until I started playing with this band. Oh, because it it has been that inspirational. Um, Especially I mean, having a good band means having an excellent drummer and an excellent bass player to provide a rhythm section for you. And, and with with Jen playing all the things that I have showed her and proficiently, I mean, it's like I have my own little tracks that I've recorded myself because they're playing exactly what I want them to play. and That really makes it happen. When everything it's it's like we were talking about this the other day. When you you know when you fall into someone was it a, a, a trust fall? When you fall into a group of people that are behind you and you let yourself go, truly just let yourself go and trust that they will catch you. It's really a unique feeling, you know. That's what they provide for me. I am a trust fall back on them, and I can just float on top of the rhythm section that the band provides me with, and the soloing that I have been. And, and well, you're hearing it on the albums. Some of my some of my peers in this town, other guitar players are coming up and saying, you're playing like I've never heard you play before, man. So I'll I'll take that as a compliment.
1: That, and that's why I had to ask the question, because. I have had this conversation a number of times with the lead guitarist of, of my last band, who is a very gifted player. And we've talked a number of times about some of the legends. Uh, I mean, they mean, the the you know, the rock gods. And we've said, no, they haven't done a new thing in 40 years. So what, what they did back in that band in 1967, they haven't done one new thing. And we specifically talked about you once. And I, so that's why I had to ask the question, because it's pretty amazing. It's <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing. Jennifer. Let's start talking about the road show and the gigs and all that kind of thing because I'm so excited because I I as I look at the I didn't cut you off I hope Richard did I no I no no um, <laughs> because if if I did you could say Michael Bublé and then we'll go back to <laughs> what, what it is you want to talk <laughs> about okay <laughs> so all of this information folks by the way is on uh, the, the website j l y n a n d so that's jennifer lynn but j J lynn and the groove revival.com w dot j l y n and the groove com. great website by the way and when you go to it watch the video of my friends almost butt naked in uh <laughs> i it, it, yeah, in snowbanks, playing and making this video—it's great. Let's start great. talking about the venues. You, you, uh, May twelfth, you're at TAC Music Venue. Is it in Moorhead or Dilworth? Or kind of like
2: really close to Moorhead? It's in Dilworth, so. Okay. Uh, but I mean, it's depends on who you ask. So I kind of typically refer to it almost as Moorhead because a lot of people kind of associate it with that.
1: Do you you want people as much as possible to pre-purchase the tickets, go to the website, buy a ticket for the event, or can they do it? Walk walk me through that.
2: Yeah, um, well, it's going to be pretty much like any concert where tickets at the door are slightly more expensive than tickets purchased ahead of time. Because obviously, um, uh, from our standpoint, tickets purchased ahead of of time help us out to know um, just the logistics of things that evening. Um, because all of these shows, Mike, uh, based on what we've been doing here in Bismarck with the ticketed shows, and basically it's equivalent to where I book the venue and do all the things, that's what we're doing on the road. So all of the ticketing, we're handling all of our own ticketing. Basically, I seek out the venues and try to partner with venues that I think have the artists in mind, meaning they're good, good par- people to partner with. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been really fun and we're looking forward to kind of branching out and and trying to replicate the awesome stuff that we have going on here in town and and taking it on the road.
1: So that's May 12th, mm-hmm. 15 bucks in advance uh, on the website, right?
2: Yep. And that that show is actually a theme show. Um, we're basically doing a tribute to um we call it the British invasion. So it basically starts with the Beatles and then it, and then it basically culminates with some of the best blues rock um, bands that came out of Britain during the the sixties and seventies. And um, the reason we like to do that is I like to pay tribute to the music that has inspired our music. So we will be throwing some of our originals in there, but it's also, I like, I'm a nerd. So I like to walk people kind of through a storyline with the music as well. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the bands and some of the behind the music kind of a, a stuff like you see on the VH1 behind the music. Um, talking a little bit about some of the songs in general and just talking about the music that was coming out of that time period. Are
1: all all of these are to talk about May 13th at KJ's Highway in St. Paul. The second, June 2nd, the Hall, Fargo Brewing, the Hall, Fargo Brewing, uh, June 3rd. Van Forkshet, just a great place, Empire Arts Center. I mean, just, it, 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 it's just a fabulous, fa- it's kind of like Belle in a way. It's just a great, great place. And then July 22nd in Animus. I love this, the Prairie Pothole Music Arts Festival. Are they all the British Invasion theme or just the one in Moorhead?
2: Good question. Um, so the, the show, May 12th and 13th, so 13th, we leave Moorhead and we go to St. Paul. That will be the British Invasion show as well. And then the show's uh, June 2nd, back in basically, you know, across across the, the way in Fargo for Moorhead, we'll be doing the British Invasion again. And then also in Grand Forks, we'll be doing the British Invasion show. And Animus is not? That's more? Animus, they... Yeah, Animus will be doing more originals. And we've had some requests to do some of the Almond Brothers tunes. So we'll be busting some of those out for that show, which... We're excited about it, oh, that yeah. means dual guitar craziness, which is what we live for. So
1: <laughs> every time I've seen you and you do an Allman Brothers, particularly Whipping Post, which our band used to do, I remember when I saw the original lineup 1971 open air concerts, Midway Stadium in St. Paul. I'll never, ever, ever forget watching the Allman Brothers ever. It was just absolutely amazing, and it's a great website too. By the way, there's merch there, uh, videos. You can buy music. You can learn more about uh, Jennifer and Richard and the the group. What else should people know about you, Jennifer and Jennifer Lynn and the Groove Revival, and what's maybe after this series of concerts?
2: um well really we're just all about the fans and i feel like um for us it's been a while since we've been able to get out and and see some faces in the crowd which is the whole point of doing music in general i mean the the really the really nice thing about the internet and social media is we have a really great fan base from all over the world we have people online that are are supportive of our music and they purchase albums and merch and you know we're sending things overseas which is really fun and um, so for us, getting to play live is really fun. And and by doing these tribute concerts, I feel like it also opens the door for people who have an interest in the type of music that inspired our music. So it's kind of like, you know, Mike, it's like us going out for coffee versus, um, you know, the people that just immediately want to have a date or something weird. you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a nice way for us to um, with, mm-hmm. with new potential fans to, to collaborate and have a fun night over music that we all enjoy, which will be fun because um, you know, hopefully we can build um, a fan base in our region. And um, so that way when we do eventually do shows, we can do more of our originals and people will be okay with that. So yeah. that's kind of the end goal. Best way for
1: people to follow along social media on the web, the, your, your website, right? Do I have your permission? Do, is it okay if I, I use some of the videos from your YouTube channel to uh, promote your concerts and that kind of thing? Is that okay to do that?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: So can you guarantee that there's going to be multiple Michael Bublé moments at every one of these concerts? That That's what people, they probably won't say it that way, but there's going to be plenty of those, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. We've, um, you know, we just because we're covering others music doesn't mean we don't make it our own. It's very much a part of uh, our band definitely comes through in the music, even if it's someone else's songs could be, you know, maybe we add some dual guitar parts, or there's some harmonies that people aren't expecting. And so it's it's fun. We love doing the tribute shows. uh, Because like I said, um, performing the music that inspired our music is, Mm -hmm. is just fun. So
1: well, let me kind of start closing it up with this. And again, both of you, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedules to to be on the podcast. I have seen you play um, enough to where, where I can make the, these statements to kind of validate what Jennifer just said. They do covers, but they add their own twist to them. They do covers. Like nobody else. um There, there are times that you're going to say, Donnie Raitt's got nothing over Jennifer." <laughs> oh and come absolutely, on! Absolutely nothing. In fact, she's a lot more attractive too. <laughs> and then, and when, and, and when her playing skills are just phenomenal for someone that hasn't been playing that long, really. And, and then Richard, he just knocks it, just knocks it out of the park um and that, that's a whole bunch of michael Bublé moments right there between the two of them and the whole band the whole supporting cast are amazing will barb be will barb be on this tour with you yeah
2: barb is now part of the band i've i've officially i've officially roped her in yeah. barb, and for those that don't know barb is an amazing uh piano and keyboard player so she can boogie woogie like no one else and it's it's really fun
1: you can play she's a good singer too i right? she got uh She's got that uh, Mississippi blues thing kind of down. She's really something special. Yeah. Anything else you want to share before we wrap this up, Jennifer or Richard?
2: Just thanks for having us on, Mike. It's good to visit with you and see you.
1: Well, thank you so much for for joining me. You both look great, by the way. I'm really looking forward to seeing you at least uh, two of these for sure, because I just love uh, being entertained by your talents. Thanks so much. Um, We'll talk again soon, and can't wait to see you. Take good care. Thank you. All right, you too, Mike. Bye.